the most powerful blessing you can ever receive in your life, that you can ever receive in your family, is what Jesus referred to as the promise of the Father. We've been preaching about it for a few weeks on Sunday mornings, and the promise of the Father is when the Holy Ghost comes and lives in your life. It's the greatest blessing that you can ever receive is God living in you. If you've received that gift, why don't you give the Lord praise right now? Because he's done a miracle in your life. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing that blesses a person or a family more than being filled with the gift of God's spirit. I'm telling you, in your life, like being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and it's for everybody. It's for everybody. It's not just for a select group. It's for everybody. The word of the Lord says to be born again of the water and of the spirit. It's for you. It's for you. If you would stand with me. We believe in strengthening families. It's one of the things we believe in the most. And so on this day, I'll say what I will say on any other day. We honor you. We love you. We believe that your role is important, mothers, and uh, we believe that families are as important today as they've ever been. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in the word of the Lord, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I've been ministering on some Sunday mornings from uh, Luke chapter 24, and it's when Jesus has come out of the tomb, he's resurrected from the dead, he meets a couple of disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. They have a conversation, this dialogue between Jesus and these disciples. And Jesus starts to tell them the plan of God and how it's unfolding in the earth and and what's going on. And he describes the promise of the Father, which we know to be the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he, he walks with them, and then he appears to some of the other disciples and at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, Jesus, the, the story continues. It's, it's kind of a rehash of what happens at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is still interacting with his disciples and speaking with them. He's telling them about what's going to take place in the days to come. He tells them that they're going to be empowered by the Holy Ghost to be witnesses of his, and not just of his life, but of his resurrection, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then Jesus ascends to heaven, and before he does, he tells them that they need to go and tarry in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God falls on them. And Jesus ascends to heaven, and the disciples do exactly what he has told them to do, which is a good idea, and they go to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, in the New King James Version, the story picks up and tells us that in those days... Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. So they're in the upper room, and there's 120. And Peter said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry." Verse 18, now this man, talking about Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, which is, that is, field of blood. 
Peter goes on and says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, and he starts to go back to some of the Psalms of David and make sense of what they've seen in these last few days concerning Judas Iscariot. It's written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And the people, the 120, they proposed two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. I want to minister from that passage this morning on this thought, you had to be there. You had to be there. You may be seated. You've probably started to tell a story before. And realized after a few seconds that no amount of description was going to convey to the person that you were talking to what had happened. And after a few moments, a few sentences of trying to tell a story and describe what had happened and you have that realization, you've probably done like I've done many times before and you say those words, I guess you just had to be there. Sometimes you even get all the way through the story. You ever told a big long story? To somebody, and you think it's just the funniest or most interesting story, and you get to the end, and you kind of get to the punchline, the big moment, and you, you deliver it, and, and, and you're waiting for the reaction, and they just kind of look at you, and you're like, all righty then. The person doesn't react the way that you expected that they would, and they even act a little bit underwhelmed, and you have to concede, I guess you just had to be there. One thing we all learned in the last few years is there are a lot of things that you need to be present for in person. You just have to be there. Many of us in these last few years have become acquainted with things like online work or video calls or even online church. Now, I, I, I wish I could stand before spiritual sounding when it comes to even something like online church and tell you that I... I, I just live for it, I, but I, I'm here to tell you, I do not prefer to sit on my couch and watch praise and worship. I, I just don't, and if you do, I haven't met you yet, I, 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 don't, I don't know what the appeal might be, um, but there's a lot of things, video stuff and the online stuff, some of that stuff is very convenient and and. It it's, has its place when you're in a pinch and you need to just make do. Uh, but no one, no one pretends like those things are an acceptable substitute for in-person. It feels, because whenever we do that, whether it's work or church or some other aspect of our, I mean, let's be real. Nobody, nobody has a virtual family reunion. I mean, nobody organizes a Zoom call to get all the relatives on, on the same call. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. 
Now, if you live across the world, you might have to make allowances and, and, and have some interaction. But, I mean, we want to be together. You want to be there. And whenever we, whenever we have to use one of these other mechanisms, a virtual, a piece of technology, it feels like it's a shortcut way of doing something. It doesn't have the substance to meet the real need. I want to tell you today that there are no spiritual sh- shortcuts. There's things that, would be, that are very often presented as spiritual shortcuts. They're marketed, they're preached, they're taught, they're presented all the time as something that is an easy way of getting close to God. But the scriptures teach us that there are no spiritual shortcuts that really work and fulfill what God wants to do in our life. Salvation looks like a life that is completely given over to Jesus Christ. When the old you dies away and God raises up a new creature in your life, it happens in the flesh. It happens in person. It doesn't happen virtually. We can't phone in our relationship with God, but it happens whenever we're in the room. It happens whenever we are personally invested, when we are engaged and involved on a personal, individual level. There's nothing shortcut or microwave about it. It doesn't mean that it's complicated just because I say that there's no shortcut way about it. It doesn't mean that it's complicated. But I I can tell you how to apply the gospel to your life in a very concise manner this morning, the same way that the Apostle Peter did at the day of Pentecost. He said, repent And be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Just like there's nothing that can substitute for actually being there. There are no shortcuts or or substitutes for being born again. And being a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. There's no substitute for it. There's no shortcut for it. Jesus chose 12 disciples to turn into his apostles. These apostles, that word apostles means sent ones. And a lot of times, uh, in addition to being sent ones, these are ones that were going to be sent out as authoritative eyewitnesses into Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and spread across the entire world. They were apostles. And one of the ways that's helpful for us to think about it, that power that was going to be given to them, it's a lot like our modern sense of the power of attorney. Anyone know what power of attorney is? Jesus was empowering these men as eyewitnesses. Jesus was going to ascend to heaven. He was going to leave this group of 12 individuals to carry out his mission and work in the earth. One of these 12 apostles we know by the name of Judas Iscariot. This is the man that betrayed Jesus, handed him over to the authorities, was paid a sum of 30 pieces of silver, and Judas came to regret his action so much that he tried to give it back, and then he killed himself. And so there was a vacancy. Now what had been a group of 12 was now a group of 11. And this group of 11 gathered together with 120 individuals in the upper room in Jerusalem, and they were praying, and Simon Peter stood up that day, Acts chapter 1 says, he stood up, and he started to declare that they needed to fill the vacancy left by Judas Iscariot. 
They were praying together. They were giving attention to God's word together. They started to reference some of the Psalms together for direction of what to do. And as Simon Peter stood and began to speak, what they needed to do started to become clear. I want to focus our attention this morning on the words of Peter's leadership and prayer in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. He started to give direction about what actually needed to happen. And they started to look at the group of 120 of the most faithful, the the core group, the ones that would stick with Jesus the closest. These were the ones, it says in the scriptures that Jesus appeared to over 500, but here we have just 120 that have gone the distance and that have actually gathered together in Jerusalem in the upper room. And they start to scan the room. And as they look and they go through a series of decision-making processes, the decision landed on a man named Matthias to be the 12th apostle. It was a defining moment in the life of Matthias. We all have defining moments. Every single one of us has defining moments in our life. All of us in this room know what it is to have a defining moment. I want to call your attention not to a defining moment in a temporal sense, But I want to call your attention on this Sunday morning to eternity and remind each and every one of us in the room today that each of us has a defining moment waiting for us that will take place at the judgment seat of Christ. And in that moment, your name will need to be written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no shortcuts or substitutes on that day, but you will have had to have a biblical spiritual, real relationship and encounter with the one true living God. I want to paint the picture this morning of Matthias' story and his defining moment and maybe shed some light on our defining moment that will decide our eternity. The first thing that I want to point out just as a bedrock recognition today is that Matthias was there. He was there. He was present in the room. You might think, well, of course he was, and we, sometimes we take a simple fact like that for granted. But the fact of the matter is, is that when they started to d- decide and discern in the Holy Ghost who was going to be the replacement for Judas Iscariot, who was going to take the place of the 12th apostle, Ju- that Matthias was in the room when that process was taking place. And as they scanned the room... The criteria that Simon Peter stated that day when they were making this this decision, Brother Ryan, he was there with us, who accompanied us from the time that John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River until the time that Jesus ascended into heaven just a few short days ago. That was the criteria that needed to be met in order to qualify For this position, this role that Matthias would eventually be placed into. I want to tell you today that it's not insignificant that Matthias was there. There was something, I know that may seem very physical and very temporal and very unspiritual at times. But it had spiritual ramifications that Matthias 
was there. He was there whenever Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He was there when Jesus turned the water into wine. He was there when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. He was there when Jesus calmed the storm. And he was there whenever Jesus ascended into heaven. There is spiritual significance to the simple fact that a man like Matthias said, You know what? I've got to be there. There's something powerful about actually being in the presence of God. That's where it happens. That's where the action's at. I've got to be there, Matthias said. He was present. He was in attendance. And I would submit to you today that it mattered. It mattered that Matthias was in the room. It mattered that Matthias was willing to go where some were not willing to go. It mattered that Matthias made the inconvenient journey out of the city and down to the Jordan River that day where John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing. There was nothing convenient about that. It mattered that he made that journey. It mattered that Matthias endured the discomfort of being a little bit hungry Because Jesus taught long into the afternoon and he sat there with the rest of the 5,000 as Jesus broke the loaves and the fishes and multiplied them to feed that multitude. It mattered that Matthias was willing to endure a little bit of discomfort of being a little hungrier than normal because he decided to set it out and wait and listen to Jesus teach as long as possible. And because of that, he was witness to a miracle. It mattered. That when the crowds were thronging Jesus in the streets of Jerusalem, that Matthias pressed in close enough to be crowd, and he got there, Brother Burke, close enough to where he could see and hear Jesus heal the woman with the issue of blood. It mattered that Matthias wasn't willing to hang around the edges of what was going on and only drop in and only be around the perimeter. But it mattered that Matthias wanted to be right in the middle of what God was doing. He wanted to be in the direct presence of Jesus. I want to be as close to him as I possibly can be. And what seemed like an ordinary day when Jesus was just going about his ordinary ministry, it stacked up into something significant because one day in the upper room, They were going around and they were saying, were you there when he fed the 5,000? Were you there when he turned the water into wine? Were you there whenever he healed the woman with the issue of blood? Were you there when he was baptized? And the hands started to go down. And there was only two two hands left raised up. And one of them was Matthias. It mattered that he was there. There's something powerful about being there. Do you want to live a life of purpose? Do you want to be going the same direction as God? God's saying, it's your move, Matthias. It's your move, Matthias. God's waiting on you to show up. Hear me, I'm not saying that your life has to be perfectly put together on your move. God is waiting on your move. It is completely within the abilities of everybody in the room right now to be like Matthias and say, you know what? Come what may, I'm going to be there. It may be inconvenient, but I'm going to be there. It may not always be comfortable, but I'm going to be there. 
It may require a little bit of effort sometimes to get me into the presence of Jesus. I may have to press a little bit, but I'm going to be there. It is completely within the realm of all of our capability today. There is no one that is handicapped in this area. It is a completely level playing field. All things are equal. And God is equally available to each and every one of us. We just have to decide to be there. And we have to recognize that it matters. He was there. And because he was there, he gained an identity. It was, it was going to be more, it was going to be about more than what he was going to do. And it was fundamentally changing who he would be. You notice there's a difference. You know there's a difference. There's, a, there's something that goes down to a deeper level than sometimes just what we do. And God wants to change and develop who we are. That's what was happening in Matthias' life. Matthias, that day in the upper room that we read about in Acts chapter 1, he didn't just get hired on to a new job. He became one of the 12 apostles. And it's because he was present when no one else noticed, when no one else was tracked. Matthias, because Matthias was there for the other things, Matthias was going to get to be there for some other things. Matthias was there for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the upper room. He got to be there and see the cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. Matthias was there that day in Jerusalem when 3,000 people received the gift of God's Spirit. He was there at that prayer meeting when they were praying because Simon Peter was locked up in prison. And that angel went and released Simon Peter from prison, and Simon Peter came knocking on the door. You better believe Matthias was there for that. Can I tell someone this morning that the door that you're waiting to open is unlocked by your faithfulness to God? It's unlocked by you understanding that the key to all of it is responding to the Spirit and following after Him and having that, that attitude of where you are, that's where I'll be. Wherever you go, that's where I'll go. It was an identity thing. There was something, because he was there, there was something fundamentally that shifted about Matthias's identity. And the person of God that you desire to be today is found in your willingness to engage yourself in the ordinary moments. I know that there's big moments in the Bible, and we see this as a defining moment in Matthias's life. And we hunger for those defining moments, don't we? We're looking for those defining moments. We're anticipating them. There's something special about those. But it's in the ordinary moments that we engage and we involve ourselves in what God is doing that prepare us for the defining moments. I'm talking about being ready for eternity this morning. I'm talking about the fact that each one of us has a defining moment that still lays out ahead of us when we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to have a defining moment in his presence that's going to determine our eternal destination. We have to have our identity. God wants, 
God wants to change your identity. He wants to change your identity. He wants to do that kind of a work in your life. Not surface level. A deep work. A deep work. 